Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on WBEN. Now, WBEN's David Bellavia. Welcome back to Hardline. I've got Dr. Jacob Nyheisel in here from the University of Buffalo, Associate Professor of the School of Political Science. And we just heard from a gentleman who served for 33 years in public service. And now we're talking about the Green New Deal or the New Green Deal or whatever it's Some permutation of that. This thing got rolled out. And my goodness gracious, like like the Hindenburg, it blew up. People were absolutely losing their mind. Mm-hmm. It not only talked about the environment, this sweeping policy was over the top. There was a frequently asked question, an FAQ part of this rollout. And uh, Dr. Neheisel, it's missing. <laughs> Nothing says rolled out too soon like dead links on a website. So, Reminds me so, of the old Obamacare. Right? right, right, exactly. But one of those things it talked about, you know, uh, income for people that didn't want to work, which, you know, the, the wording on it was, it was almost as if it was, it, it was intended to troll, you know, conservatives. It seemed that way in, in, and in part. And it did just that. And so now uh, we have a non-binding vote. This is not intended to be law. But I got to tell you, as a conservative, I love that it's a non-binding vote because now you have people on the record. It's like all those votes we did during the Iraq war. Well, now you have a chance to, to vote. If you weren't elected during the you know, march to Baghdad, now you get a chance to get on the record, even though it's not going anywhere. It's a non-binding vote that puts you on a roll call that says where you stand. This is frightening to me when I look at, you know, what it's trying to do. I mean, for example, the elimination of the, the gas combustible engine in 12 years is absurd. The, the idea that we're not going to have airplanes anymore, are going to cut the size of the military by 50%. But what is the intent is it to be the first fist in the bucket of water to just say, look, I'm going to take a stab. Now let's roll it back and let's start to compromise. Or is it meant to just say, if we're going to save the world, because if the argument is the world's going to end in 12 years, what does any of this matter? Right. I think that uh, as a as a statement, maybe the, the aspirational view would be that they're trying to start a conversation. Uh, the, the cynical political science always looking through the lens of strategy uh, says that everyone's scrambling to, to back the, the most uh, you know, uh, wide-ranging, far-reaching proposal in, in light of a run for 2020. Um, so it's not just the hopefuls, but others in the party who, who see that as an opportunity. As a, as a professor and as a student of history, 
you're constantly pulling references out to the Martin Van Buren, you know, <laughs> gold standard of 1836 and everything else you throw out there. What do you compare this to where it, it's like the first attempt at trying to, you know, move you're, you're trying to use legislation to move the country in a direction. Now we saw after the 13th and 14th Amendment reconstruction, there was an there was there were efforts that were made, and then local governments essentially became. You can make the argument that that was uh, more akin to the you know uh, the state today, where illegal immigrants they're not going to comply with federal government. The states said, "We have our Jim Crow laws. We don't care what." you say at the federal level. We'll do our own thing. When it comes to the environment, you hear Al Gore supports it. Elizabeth Warren, very clunky announcement for her presidential campaign. But it seems that these 2020 candidates are moving to that that base and in the left. And this Green New Deal appears to be a platform for these presidential candidates to uh, roll out. Absolutely. I think there's a a, a part of that constituency who wants bold action and, and really will settle for nothing less. And if you're playing the the primary politics game, it's those are your voters. Those are the folks who are going to come out and actually make a choice between you and a slate of any number of other Democrats and make those distinctions on policy rather than look at the letter behind your name, look at the letter behind somebody else's name and, and vote accordingly. And so I think they're scrambling to find points of differentiation. And that's that's what you do in the run up to a, to a primary. Well, you know, as a, as a conservative, though, let me let me just push back on one thing. Here's my fundamental argument about this entire, you know, the left's push for the environment. We've had how many years now? I think we're going on 40 plus years where global warming climate. We've changed the name repeatedly, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because if you're going to talk about the ice age, and then a, a massive, you know, uh, temp- cooling, and then we're warm, and now we're just generically climate change. What there is no, every professor has been getting grant money to look at the environment. We've had documentaries and all these different groups. The only answer to any of this is to to really make it hurt. Obama talked about a gas tax and you know carbon taxes. It's always about, and now we're looking at Paris, right? And these people are losing their mind wearing these vests because of a tax. Where, what, you can't just tax people and, and make them use carbon less. There has to be a solution. Or otherwise, if that's the case, just open up the treasury and give everyone $20 million and say, let's party. Like it's Keep not, printing. Yeah, you know what Weimar I'm Germany. We, we, we got 12 years left. Let's just you know throw caution to the wind and, and let our hair down. What, how do progressives, socialists, Democrats, anyone that's trying to move an, an environmental agenda, how do they juxtapose the, the, the whole idea of we have to wean you off it, but there is a solution here. There's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of optimism on the you know global warming crowd. Yeah, I think that might be a bit of a strategic mistake. If it's already too late, then why should I recycle? Why should I you know not drive a mile down the road to, to get groceries or whatnot? Why should I walk that? You know, why inconvenience myself? And and rather focus on yeah, th- th- there could be a rollback. You know, we we're at the precipice there. We need to cut it back from from this level to this one. And here's what every person needs to do. I uh, teach a class on environmental politics at UB, and uh, we watch uh, Al Gore's documentary. And what's striking to me is that the policy solutions at the end are somewhat personalized. Right here's things that everybody can do. 
nothing is talking about policy that would actually encourage that kind of behavior. And what we know about human nature, we're talking with David, uh, the uh, city councilman just a minute ago, human nature doesn't change. We want to do what's best for us and, you know, heck with the rest of you. And we need to encourage cooperative behavior. It's not always clear how that's done. And so I think the best approach here, rather than just throwing down a gauntlet, would be to say, look, we're going to encourage cooperative behavior. Here's the carrots. Uh, that we're going to give out there, and here are the benefits that accrue to you by being a team player. I'm not sure what that looks like. But, but, but Franzik, he's a perfect example, though, of 33 years of public service. It was never about a fear tactic. I mean, what would if you look after 9-11, it was fear of another attack, fear right. of death, fear of terrorism that moved legislation. Many would argue that we moved too far too fast, and we eroded civil liberties over that. Uh, and we'll take your calls at 803-0930 for the Republican line, 644-9875 for the Democratic line. But, but Dr. Uh, Jacob Naheisel, w- w- this is a fear tactic. Absolutely. There, there is no, wouldn't it be far more effective to say you can save the environment because it's the honorable thing to do to be good stewards? Everyone is affected by a, an unhealthy environment. The cities look like garbage. People aren't healthy. We extend life. We keep our animals. We're not endangering mm-hmm. species. But at the same time, we're all going to die. I mean, <laughs> that's not going to work with anyone. Right. I mean, normatively, I would love for that to be the appeal. Uh, however, we know from a lot of work on persuasion that fear works. Fear is a great motivator to a point. And I would argue that we're, we're probably passing the point at which it's useful because if we're entirely fatalistic about it and, you know, the world's going to end in 12 years, then there's not an affirmative message to, you know, make me go take the recycling out because who wants two bins? Uh, it's just a... It's a I think there's a crossover point that we're perhaps rapidly approaching in terms of our discourse surrounding this. But you also empower deniers at that point, because when the world and one of the things about the Al Gore documentary is that there's just a factual disconnect with the fact that, you know, we find out that a lot of his prognostications were complete garbage. I mean, he's like a Haley Bop cult leader at this point with black Nikes and everyone's eating pudding. <laughs> and a it's a great like, reference. No, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't run around and say, well, if, if we don't do anything by 2019, we're all going right. to be, you know, peanut brittle won't exist. It'll be melted. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not true. You, you Once you go on the record and you're wrong, mm-hmm. it, but but there's, you know, so it's almost you're empowering your enemy ideologically when you're wrong. I think he was a, uh, he was an unfortunate messenger for that. If it had been given by a climate scientist, had been given by a geologist, someone of that nature, it would not have been as polarized. Right? You trot Al Gore out there with his little partisan jabs right from the beginning, and now suddenly I don't like this guy because he's Al Gore, because right. he's a Democrat. The rest of his message is going to whiz right by you. And, and, and that, you're, you're screaming for the deer cam to be put up by your house exactly. to show the lights on and, and all the different gotcha type of games yep. the media on the right is going to play. It becomes a lightning rod. And so I, I think that that was um, in environmental politics. We talk about that as kind of an inflection point, right? The, um, the new uh, interest in environmentalism really pinned, or is pinned to that moment. I think it was a really unfortunate messenger to, to trot that idea out. Well, uh, we got Dr. Jacob Nyheisel. We're talking the environment, the new Green Deal. We got fighting Joe Beamer over there on the board. Uh, you can give us a call at 803-0930 if you're a Republican, 644-9875 if you're a Democrat. We're going to talk about the uh, the new Green Deal uh, rolled out this week. And take your calls after this quick break. It's Hardline on WBN. 
Thank you, Joe Beamer. Up early, as always. Seven days a week this man works. The man's a dynamo. He is a dynamo. He is a force of nature. He is our generation's Jimmy Griffin. Without the uh, attacking of council members. Fueled by anger and energy drinks. You know, that story that David Franzek told about Jimmy Griffin, it it really was a huge news story at the time that that happened. And it was... Out, it was outra- I mean, could you imagine today if Byron Brown assaulted Darius Pridgen in an elevator in City Hall? That would be absolutely uncalled for. Mm-hmm. You can't have your mayor putting hands on anyone. And what is Franzek supposed to do? Is he hit him with a bat? I mean, it was a knife fight in a, in a, a room? Uh, unreal. Anyway, Dr. Jacob Nyheisel joins us from the University of Buffalo. We're talking about the new Green Deal. And uh, this history of, you know, w- whether or not where where you get your information is almost as important today as what the information is. And that's another thing that we've never really had to deal with is the fact that, you know, we've got memes that are right. quoted. I'm sure you've had, you know, Wikipedia, you know, white papers written in your classes. <laughs> you know, word I, for word, it turns out. Yeah, I, I mean, but... It's frightening with this all this information. We still have bad information, right. and whether and it really depends on your ideology as to what your filter determines is fake or not real. Absolutely, and it's only getting worse as more outlets proliferate. The the internet was supposed to be this great equalizer, this democratizing force. And I think what it really just did is gave a voice to to everybody. And so, if you have the narrowest of niche interests, you can find that consume that information and now you're even more sure of your own position so but are you alarmed though that we have so many elected officials it would be like if if cancer research was was being you know if if senator gillibrand and and schumer were giving us updates on prostate and breast cancer this is the only issue where politicians and scientists have blurred the lines you don't hear that with abortion. You don't hear scientific study on that. You never hear scientific study on cancer research, only when it's used to get more money. Only, you know, we heard in the State of the Union right. address, we're going to eliminate AIDS. We're going to do this. But we're not hearing clinical studies coming from the President of the United States saying that, you know, folks who eat salmon are 40% less likely to get prostate cancer. That would be looked at as, well, you're way out of your field. Right. But the environment is so pol- politicized that we actually get studies and surveys and also on the right we hear people denying those studies and surveys because this issue seems to not really ha- where are the scientists and where are the politicians they're they're the ones really talking about it yeah i think that that's right and, and you uh, scientize debates when Typically, it's going to be in your favor. And so when there is something where uh, the bulk of the, the scientific research is on one end, you're absolutely going to latch onto that because now it's got this veneer of credibility. Uh, and it's, you're going to inject that into the debate because, well, who could question our, our much vaunted scientists out there in the world? Uh, and I imagine it would be any other issue where there was this lopsided nature and there, there's um, no longer a whole lot of debate going on in terms of you know where the science stands on this. Now, when it comes to timelines, we were talking about this earlier. The timelines, I think, is where this goes off the rails because we want to know, right? That's a question we have to ask. It's like, uh, how much longer do we have here? Uh, but it's a, it's a very valid <laughs> yeah. question is to be like, when will oxygen be yeah. depleted? I'd like to know. But there's uh, a lot of uncertainty surrounding most of those estimates. We might be getting better about it, but we're not, it's not like 
were predicting the world is going to end in 15 days and 20 hours. Uh, those kinds of predictions just aren't happening. There's a pretty wide range around those. And I think when people out there in the public or when the information is injected into the public courtesy of politicians, I think the idea is, well, they said we have 12 years and that's it. Well, that's 12 years plus a range. And, you know, it, it's a note of caution, but it's not something to set your, your Mayan doomsday calendar by. Wow, Mayan doomsday. <laughs> you know, but if I, if I went to Roswell Park, I don't think any, at least modern medicine, the best, you know, oncologists in the world are never going to give you an exact date as to when you're going to expire. If you're stage four mm -hmm. and, you know, well, I could tell you that most people, this is what happens, but right. we're not going to say, hey, after April, you know, sell your Facebook stock because there's no point in, you know, and if you're wrong, if they're wrong, you never go back to Roswell and say, well, you told me I was going to die three months ago. What the hell's wrong? I bought with the it? boat. How right. could you? But, but And then at the same time, you look at the other studies the political studies you know are, are muslims more apt to be terrorists when you really look at a commonality trait it's facial hair right Fa people with facial hair are more <laughs> apt to blow you up or kill you but does that mean that they're you know what does that mean all beards are bad or people with you can take any data point and in your profession, you've seen this with colleagues and peers. Some papers are written and you're like, well, this is peer reviewed and mm -hmm. this is legitimate. And then you look at yourself and say, wait a minute, that's a complete disconnect. You took two little data points and you extrapolated it to be something that is really a, a long stretch. Right. Even under the best of circumstances, um, when we're talking about something like the environment, we are talking about observational evidence. Uh, we can't experiment with something on the scale of the Earth. It's just not going to happen. We don't have another Earth hiding around there on the other side of the moon that we can say, okay, you try these environmental policies over there, see how they work. The only information we have are, are things that have happened in the past, right? These things worked, these didn't. Uh, I think what the, some of the projections where they might go awry is that we're trying to do new things that would stave off those kinds of disasters. And so I think the projections are, well, if we continue doing these things that we've done, Here's the, the timeline that we're looking at. Um, and it's, a, it's an, a, an endeavor fraught with uncertainty. Um, and, I, and I think the, we're probably best when we just take general lessons from it and we're not putting some kind of timeline on it. I think it's it's best for everyone because then when you're wrong, you you've just you've decayed and eroded the entire argument for the movement. Well, you give people with self-interested uh, points uh, an out, right? Oh, well, you were wrong about that. What other things are you wrong about? And then they can couch it in terms of well, my my investment to Exxon Mobil is going to increase now because well, you see it you see it in the military all the time. It's like you know that we by by the spring we will have eliminated the Taliban. And then it's like, but no, there's a new Al-Qaeda cell. They're affiliated with the... Well, right. I mean, you, you said by the spring, these guys were done. ISIS is wiped off the map here at this date. And then when you're wrong, the whole movement's gone and you have no credibility left. Right. The, the fancy word is the partial equilibrium, right? If I have these two moving parts, yeah, I can say that this one goes up, this other one's going to go down. But I forgot to mention or think about the other 12 things that happened when this thing goes down and this other thing goes up. But you, you have to know, if you're a political strategist, that when you start making, uh, you know, while we just invested $295 million in the local Buffalo GM plant to create a new V6 engine that is obviously going to create jobs and is in the new Silverado, is the same week that a political party comes out and says we want to eliminate cars in 10 years. 
that's not going to play in middle America. It's not going to play even in the blue states. I Absolutely mean, not. If, if the Democratic Party put everything they had into a freshman in Congress who's come up with a plan, that's a really risky maneuver for an entire party to say, what's your platform? The elimination of cars and air travel in a decade even if it's what's going to save the world even if they may or may not ultimately be right it is not a politically viable point because people still work at gm people still work at ford exactly no that's a really good point they could actually be spot on Mm -hmm. but we're not going to take a high-speed rail train to the florida keys we're not going to you know to go to the dominican republic or cuba we're, the infrastructure, we can't even fill potholes. How the hell are we going to build a high-speed rail across the Atlantic? Right. No, I think the, the more cost-effective way is to you know, get people more used to, to shopping locally, those kinds of things. But, hey, you know, if you want to go out to the West Coast for, uh, for a bit of a trip, uh, that, uh, that's easy and doable now and something that you're going to have to dissuade in the future, I suppose. Yeah, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, more of this. We'll take your calls at 803-0930, Republican line, 644-9875, and the Democratic line. Finally getting to your calls. Uh, we're talking global warming, the new Green Deal. It's Hardline. Thank you, Joe Beamer. Up early, as always. Seven days a week this man works. The man's a dynamo. He is a dynamo. He is a force of nature. He is our generation's Jimmy Griffin. Without the uh, attacking of council members. Fueled by anger and energy drinks. You know, that story that David Franzek told about Jimmy Griffin, it, it really was an, a huge news story at the time that that happened. And it was out. It was out, I mean, could you imagine today if Byron Brown assaulted Darius Pridgen in an elevator in City Hall? That would be absolutely uncalled for. Mm-hmm. You can't have your mayor putting hands on anyone. And what's Franzek supposed to do? Is he hit him with a bat? I mean, there's a knife fight in a, in a room? Uh, unreal. Anyway, Dr. Jacob Nyheisel joins us from the University of Buffalo. We're talking about the new Green Deal and uh, this history of, you know, w- whether or not we're, where you get your information is almost as important today as what the information is. And that's another thing that we've never really had to deal with is the fact that you know, we've got memes that are right. quoted. I'm sure you've had, you know, Wikipedia, you know, white papers written in your classes. <laughs> you know, word I, for word, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but it, it's frightening with this, all this information, we still have bad information. Right. And whether, and it really depends on your ideology as to what your filter determines is fake or not real. Absolutely. And it's only getting worse as more outlets proliferate. The, the internet was supposed to be this great equalizer, this democratizing force. And I think what it really just did is gave a voice to, to everybody. And so if you have the narrowest of niche interests, you can find that consume that information and now you're even more sure of your own position so but are you alarmed though that we have so many elected officials it would be like if if cancer research was was being you know if if senator gillibrand and and schumer were giving us updates on prostate and breast cancer this is the only issue where politicians and scientists have blurred the lines you don't hear that with abortion. You don't hear scientific study on that. You never hear scientific study on cancer research, only when it's used to get more money. Only, you know, we heard in the State of the Union right. address, we're going to eliminate AIDS. We're going to do this. But we're not hearing clinical studies coming from the President of the United States saying that, you know, 
folks who eat salmon are 40% less likely to get prostate cancer, that would be looked at as, well, you're way out of your field. Right. But the environment is so pol- politicized that we actually get studies and surveys and also on the right, we hear people denying those studies and surveys because this issue seems to not really... Ha- where are the scientists and where are the politicians? They're, they're the ones really talking about it. Yeah, I think that that's right. And, and you uh, scientize debates when typically it's going to be in your favor. And so when there is something where uh, the bulk of the, the scientific research is on one end, you're absolutely going to latch onto that because now it's got this veneer of credibility uh, and it's, you're going to inject that into the debate because, well, who could question our, our much vaunted scientists out there in the world? Uh, and I imagine it would be any other issue where there was this lopsided nature and there's, there's um, no longer a whole lot of debate going on in terms of you know, where the science stands on this. Now, when it comes to timelines, we were talking about this earlier. The timelines, I think, is where this goes off the rails because we want to know, right? That's a question we have to ask. It's like, uh, how much longer do we have here? Uh, but it's a, it's a very valid <laughs> yeah. question. Is to be like, when will oxygen be yeah. depleted? I'd like to know. But there's uh, a lot of uncertainty surrounding most of those estimates. We might be getting better about it, but we're not. It's not like. We're predicting the world is going to end in 15 days and 20 hours. Uh, those kinds of predictions just aren't happening. There's a pretty wide range around those. And I think when people out there in the public or when the information is injected into the public, courtesy of politicians, I think the idea is, well, they said we have 12 years and that's it. Well, that's 12 years plus a range. And, you know, it, it's a note of caution, but it's not something to set your, your Mayan doomsday calendar by. Wow, Mayan doomsday. <laughs> you know, but if I, if I went to Roswell Park, I don't think any, at least modern medicine, the best you know, oncologists in the world are never going to give you an exact date as to when you're going to expire. If you're stage four mm-hmm. and, you know, well, I could tell you that most people, this is what happens, but right. we're not going to say, hey, after April, you know, sell your Facebook stock because there's no point in, you know, and if you're wrong, if they're wrong, you never go back to Roswell and say, well, you told me I was going to die three months ago. What the hell's wrong? I bought the boat. <laughs> How right. could you? But, but And then at the same time, you look at the other studies, the political studies, you know, are, are Muslims more apt to be terrorists? When you really look at a commonality trait, it's facial hair. Right. Fa- people with facial hair are more <laughs> apt to blow you up or kill you. But does that mean that they're, you know, what does that mean? All beards are bad or people with be- You can take any data point, And in your profession, you've seen this with colleagues and peers. Some papers are written and you're like, well, this is peer reviewed and mm-hmm. this is legitimate. And then you look at yourself and say, wait a minute, that's a complete disconnect. You took two little data points and you extrapolated it to be something that is really a, a long stretch. Right. Even under the best of circumstances, um, when we're talking about something like the environment, we are talking about observational evidence. Uh, we can't experiment with something on the scale of the Earth. It's just not going to happen. We don't have another Earth hiding around there on the other side of the moon that we can say, OK, you try these environmental policies over there, see how they work. The only information we have are, are things that have happened in the past, right? These things worked. These didn't. Uh, I think what the, some of the projections where they might go awry is that we're trying to do new things that would stave off those kinds of disasters. And so I think the projections are, well, if we continue doing these things that we've done, here's the, the timeline that we're looking at. Um, and it's, a, it's an, a, an endeavor fraught with uncertainty. Um, and, I, and I think the, we're probably best when we just take general lessons from it and we're not putting some kind of timeline on it. 
I think it's it's best for everyone because then when you're wrong, you you've just you've decayed and eroded the entire argument for the movement. Well, you give people with self-interested uh, points uh, an out, right? Oh, well, you were wrong about that. What other things are you wrong about? And then they can couch it in terms of, well, my my investment to Exxon Mobil is going to increase now because. Well, can- you see it. You see it in the military all the time. It's like you know that we by by the spring we will have eliminated the Taliban. And then it's like, but no, there's a new Al-Qaeda cell. They're affiliated with the... Well, right. I mean, you, you said by the spring these guys were done. ISIS is wiped off the map here at this date. And then when you're wrong, the whole movement's gone and you have no credibility left. Right. The, the fancy word is the partial equilibrium, right? If I have these two moving parts, yeah, I can say that this one goes up, this other one's going to go down. But I forgot to mention or think about the other 12 things that happened when this thing goes down and this other thing goes up. But you you have to know, if you're a political strategist, that when you start making, uh, you know, while we just invested $295 million in the local Buffalo GM plant to create a new V6 engine that is obviously going to create jobs and is in the new Silverado, is the same week that a political party comes out and says we want to eliminate cars in 10 years. That's not going to play in middle America. It's not going to play even in the blue states. I Absolutely mean, not. If, if the Democratic Party put everything they had into a freshman in Congress who's come up with a plan, that's a really risky maneuver for an entire party to say, what's your platform? The elimination of cars and air travel in a decade Even if it's what's going to save the world. Even if they may or may not ultimately be right, it is not a politically viable point because (laughs) people still work at GM. People still work at Ford. Exactly. No, that's a really good point. They could actually be spot on, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to take a high-speed rail train to the Florida Keys. We're not going to, you know, to go to the Dominican Republic or Cuba we're, the infrastructure, we can't even fill potholes. How the hell are we going to build a high-speed rail across the Atlantic? Right. No, I think the, the more cost-effective way is to you know, get people more used to, to shopping locally, those kinds of things. But, hey, you know, if you want to go out to the West Coast for, uh, for a bit of a trip, uh, that, uh, that's easy and doable now and something that you're going to have to dissuade in the future, I suppose. Yeah, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, more of this. We'll take your calls at 803-0930, Republican line, 644-9875, and the Democratic line. Finally getting to your calls. Uh, we're talking global warming, the new Green Deal. It's Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. Dr. Jacob Nyheisel joins us, Associate Professor, University of Buffalo School of Political Science. And uh, we are Hardline. 803-0930, the Republican line, 644-9875, the Democratic line, the moderate in-between who cares line is 30930 to text in. Uh, People uh, talking about, you know, everyone has their base of statistics i don't even know where to find a national geographic to be honest with you i gotta think if i want an old national geographic i go to my my ophthalmologist i think is the only way to get it uh maybe the national archives will have a few copies but when we're talking during the break of of how you know we always want to balance you you say this to your students all the time yeah there's no such thing as a pure democratic good you know we're really good at maximizing one dimension and minimizing another and we don't really think about the 12 or 15 other things that are going to change if we make this one little change. And we were talking about corn ethanol. Right. Uh, the fact that, you know, well, if we put more corn into our gasoline products, now it 
farmers are saying, well, soy isn't really all that profitable. Look at corn. Farmers change their crops over. Brazil is using a sugar-based ethanol, and that's a cleaner ethanol. It's, it's actually better for the environment. It's better for your engine as well. Corn ethanol is killing you know, uh, your weed eater. You'll probably get a year out of that thing as opposed to the old days without the corn ethanol. You could have had a, a gummy-free you know, engine. So there's all these different right. side effects. And with the downstream effects, you know, you have all those folks growing corn instead of soybeans now. What happens if they calculate wrong and they overproduce, right? They got the message that we're going to need all this corn to create fuel, and so the, everyone's all in on that. And now we have you know, possibly corn rotting in warehouses, or you know, we, we need to do something else with it. Uh, how we get government cheese, actually, was a, was a market no. overcorrection. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that is true. It is very true. When you look at uh, you know, some of the, uh, the cheese, uh, you know, it, it was like the uh, you know, eating wax, uh, mm-hmm. the candle wax back in the Lewis and Clark days. You, know, you could <laughs> use the government cheese to now fuel. But, but uh, again... There is no easy answer. And if there was an easy answer, we would have had it by now. But America loves their automobiles. It's a part of our freedom, to be honest with you. You know, one of the things you hear all the time is, you know, why didn't we not become the socialist utopia of Europe? Well, we had the West. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea that you could just pick up and get out of the city. You know, the patience of Asia is different when you live in an environment where you have two generations of families in one home and you're on top of another family. You right. learn to be quiet. You learn to be respectful. Americans are loud and Americans are you know, bold because we don't. The, the dream has always been to go start your own thing. Go take that covered wagon and find that land and build and get away from that. And, and that's our, where guns and everything right. else became a culture. And our infrastructure supports that. You know, the Interstate Highways Act comes in and you can uh, go coast to coast if should you so desire. And then you know, that's the other difference, of course, from Europe, which is, you know, we're, what, 3,000 miles coast to coast roughly. Uh, they're roughly the size of, you know, a medium sized state. And so you they can, say in England, the difference is 100 years and 100 miles to, to America. Right. We, we think old is 100 years yeah. and England is like, what are you talking? It's a new build. Tripping over castles over there. Yeah, right. And, and yet 100 miles, we commute to work. Some yeah. people do 100 miles. And there, that's the, the length of their entire country. Right. So all those differences that we're saddled with, you know, rightly or wrongly, right? There's, there's this great romanticism of the you know, just go west. There's always more land, you know, just take something else over. Um, we're stuck with that legacy institutionally, and we're now kind of dealing with that. And is this is this all because of populism, where where we because there are no in the old days there was the conservative, there was the liberal, and now we're starting to see populism not just being a Donald Trump invention. Obviously, populism has been with us forever, right? But but now we're seeing a progressive liberal populism. And that's what our what our liberals want, what our you know, it's not just what America wants. It's now what your base wants. You'll say whatever you can do to solidify that base, because if you lose them, you're not ever going to get a nomination. Right. And we 
every time we've had flirtations with populism, it really does crop up everywhere. You know, everyone wants to devote themselves more things or, you know, make drastic changes in the name of, you know, uh, the common man or, or something of that nature. And uh, I think that's been something that's been a long-term struggle with the U.S. system of governance is uh, as soon as the masses figure out they can vote themselves things, we start to have some problems. But uh, can a populist, populism can't be a long-term solution because if you give everything to what people want, <laughs> then eventually Obamacare is overruled. Okay, that's gone. What do you run on now? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, there are those out there who think it's sustainable long term. You know, there are some, some theorists of, oh, well, just keep printing money. As long as you're a, a stable democracy, then, you know, your, your power in the world, your place in the world will always back that with something. And so, yeah, let's let's create all kinds of services. I'm a little bit cautious about that view. Uh, you know, inflation is a real thing, and uh, it, it could be something we need to contend with occasionally. And, and there's also, we talked about this during the break as well, that democracy is sometimes a, a pesky problem. Because when you have, you know, Turkey, for example, if, if Iran got a new leader tomorrow, I don't want them in NATO. That's an unstable, you can't just go from a totalitarian state for 35 years and hope that well, because they're now a democratic republic, they're going to fix their act. Venezuela was the shining city in the hill in, right. in forever in the 90s. They're obviously a failed state. Turkey is a NATO ally, and they elected the Ayatollah, essentially. Uh, so sometimes populism in Muslim states are it's a different sort of populism in than it is in America, and democracies aren't always going to, you know— if you let the people of Afghanistan vote, they would probably vote the right. Taliban in some areas. Yeah, democracy is certainly fragile, and uh, you know it's something where we have this tendency to think that, oh, things are always going to get better. Or there's, of course, democratizing influences everywhere. It's always going to go in one direction. Well, there's no necessity to that. Things can move in a lot of different directions. There are a lot of potential outcomes uh, that we, we should be paying attention to. That wraps up another hard line. We will be here next week, same time, same station. Stay tuned for Meet the Press. This was Hardline. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.